You're listening to The Real Well Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. I have a very special guest today on The Real Well Show, someone I've followed for years as a former mortgage broker. If you're in the mortgage industry at all, you know his name. Barry Habib is the founder and CEO of MBS Highway. He is a housing market expert and a forecaster for mortgage rates. And I'm sure all of us would like to get a better idea of where rates are headed in 2023. Welcome to The Real Well Show. It's my great honor to introduce Barry Habib. Welcome. It's great to have you here. So happy to be with you. Oh, I've been listening to you for a long time. I was a mortgage broker back in the 2000s when it was real crazy. And um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about what you do for mortgage brokers and how you keep them ahead of the game? Well, yeah, as opposed to still being crazy right now, though, right? Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, well, for a long time, I was a mortgage professional, a loan originator. So I understand the business. I have my own company, employed quite a few loan originators. And then had an idea that would help the mortgage industry because I felt that there was a lack of understanding of the financial markets and how the bond market works and when to time rate locks. So I opened a company called Mortgage Market Guide, and that became kind of ubiquitous within the industry. I sold that company as I saw things changing and then opened up MBS Highway about 10 years ago. And what we do for mortgage professionals, so everyone around uh, banking, brokering or in in, uh, independent mortgage banks, credit unions, we help those mortgage professionals understand the markets, understand the opportunity in real estate, understand what appreciation levels look like in different markets, what some of the headwinds are, some of the uh, some of the benefits are in different markets, and articulate to their customers and their referral sources how they can help their clients see that. Um, we also help them with rate lock decisions, and every morning we do a video show which kind of breaks down all the news that's out there, all that craziness that you can have hours trying to dissect. We break it down in about a seven-minute video, which is entertaining and fun, but also really prepares you and scripts you with a lot of knowledge for the day. Also have acquired a company called List Reports, which does a very good job in identifying new realtor opportunities, putting those together for you, uh, allowing you to see what those real estate agents are doing, if they're cheating on you. So we, I'm the CEO of that as well. And then Certified Mortgage Advisors, um, which is a certification that allows that mortgage professional really to take a leap in becoming a true professional, understanding how the bond market works, how to create wealth, uh, so many things, understanding the Fed, all the economic news and data, and it's a certification that's widely regarded within the industry. So it's a lot, it's busy, and I still do a lot of speaking <laughs> out there. Yeah, well, I, and I, again, I appreciate you being here. Uh, so one of the things I know that you do help mortgage brokers with is that rate lock. So what is a rate lock and how do you know when to do it? <laughs> so we use a lot of different indicators to help us. Um, when when we see interest rates on mortgages move, they're predicated on the movement of mortgage-backed securities. It's not the Fed. It's not treasuries directly. There is a relationship, but not directly. It is specifically and exactly based upon the movement of mortgage-backed securities. So we track the movement of mortgage-backed securities, and we're very proficient in something called technical analysis and being able to chart those. There's natural ceilings and floors, and you can really get a good clue by being an expert in that area, which we do have expertise there. But also understanding some of the fundamental reasons. You know, For example, 
back in June of 2022, uh, while everyone was saying that rates were going to come down, inflation had peaked, we're kind of the lone voice on there. And as I went on TV and had done so many talks and speeches about the fact that we felt the summer was going to be brutal. And it's because we understood the way inflation works and the factors are going to be determining it. So that helped guide mortgage professionals in understanding, be prepared for a tough summer. But we also said back in June to circle your calendar for November 10th. I know that seems like a crazy date to pick out of thin air. We didn't pick it out of thin air. We, we were very strategic because we felt by then we were going to get on that day the, date, the data from October's inflation. And we felt that by that time, we'd see lower inflation. But also, October's data for 2022 was going to replace the data from 2021. You had a very high number in 2021 in October. We felt being replaced with a lower number in 2022 would cause inflation to come down. And what mortgage rates follow is inflation. So we said it's going to be a tough summer. Circle November 10th. Rates will start to get better. And guess what happened? So we're very proud to say that it was... A, an exactly correct call. Yes, rates. Unfortunately, we were correct on the fact that it was a tough summer, but we were also dead on to the exact very date four months in advance of saying November 10th, you're going to start to see rates come down. And since then, they've come down 1%. By the way, Fed's increased rates one and a quarter, but mortgage rates have come down 1% since then. And I think they're coming down more. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, how much more? So again, mortgage rates follow inflation. So we think that you're probably going to see in the first half of this year, mortgage rates around 5%. And that's going to be a really great opportunity for individuals because it's great for real estate agents, mortgage professionals, but it's really great for buyers because you're going to start to see a lot more buyers come in and the marketplace itself has still very tight inventory. There's definitely not going to be a housing bubble and we could talk more about that. But these things are determined by supply and demand. You have very tight supply still. Demand has softened because interest rates have gone up, so people are hibernating. But people are going to, when they see 5% mortgage rates, now have affordability much more in their favor. See, here's what's happened. You've seen mortgage rates go from 3% to roughly 7%, and of course, that makes homes less affordable. And home values have gone up too, right? They haven't really come down. I mean, they've gone up in the past two years, like 40%. Now, they've come down 2% since then. Not exactly a crash, but a slight moderation in price. And seasonally, it's kind of normal at this time anyway. But you will start to see prices reaccelerate in the spring. So think about this opportunity. Today, I can actually get a little bit of a discount. And I could sit back, and when rates come down a little bit, I can refinance to that lower rate, so still take advantage of that. Or I could take advantage of a temporary buy-down right now, get that lower rate today. Or I could use my negotiation power that I have today and get the seller to give me some money to pay for points so I can get a really low rate today. And then next year, as everybody sees the opportunity that we already see happening, they jump in the marketplace. But meanwhile, I got into a discount where everyone else will be chasing prices moving higher. I spoke with somebody just a few days ago who was sitting on a million dollars cash and not sure what to do. And he made a comment that, well, I don't want to buy something today and refi it later, like everybody's saying to do at, when it, when rates go down, if the price, if the value of the home has also gone down, because maybe I can't refi. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, the value of the home should go. I mean, look, real estate is local, certainly. So I can't tell you on that specific home, depending on the conditions or in that specific neighborhood what that might be. Although in MBS Highway, we look at zip code. So we can tell you within the zip code what the forecast is. But by and large, we see low single digit appreciation numbers in the United States. So uh, that means the prices won't be going down. In fact, they'll be going up. Not crazy, not 20% a year, not 10% a year. But even if prices go up low single digits, let's just pick a number and say it's 2 to 3%. 
If you buy a home and you put 10% down, so let's use a very simple example. I buy a $100,000 home just for argument's sake on numbers, and I put 10% down. My investment's $10,000. If that home value goes up 3%, that's a $3,000 profit. But my investment's $10,000, so a $3,000 profit on a $10,000 investment is a 30% rate of return. See, Kathy, what people have to understand is that you create wealth through real estate. And I think most people have heard that, but people don't understand how it works. And it's because of that leverage. Now, if that individual has a million dollars that they're looking to invest, what would I say to them today? I think real estate certainly is a great investment. Of course, you have to be careful and you want to make sure you buy it right. And you want to make sure that the area you're buying in is a, is is got you know doesn't have issues with that area. But assuming you make a good purchase, you should do very well, especially over time. Because there is a shortage and demographically, there is just too much demand into the future and rates are going to come down. Another place I'd be is in the bond market. Because remember, longer term rates follow inflation. So we're probably either in or headed for a recession. And historically, rates always come down during recessions. Now, the function of rates coming down means bond prices go up. So, so why is that? So let's just say you can invest today in a in a mortgage bond, just to use round numbers. Well, that rate is 6%. Imagine if you're receiving 6%. If mortgage rates come down to 5%, right? Well, then your 6% looks really smart. It looks really good. You're getting a premium above market. So if you were to go to sell that into a 5% market, you'd make a very big profit on your investment. So the bond market right now in a declining interest rate environment is a great investment because not only do you get the yield, which is at a good level, but you also get price appreciation if we're correct and inflation comes down, which it is, which means rates come down. So you win on both aspects. And I also like real estate because it creates wealth. Very interesting, Kipling did this uh, whole study and you may have seen it. And last month they came out and they said, if you wanna be in the top 1% in net worth, so net worth is all your assets minus all your liabilities, top 1% in the country, you need a net worth of $10.8 million. Okay, so that's a big number. But to be in the top 2%, very exclusive club, you need two and a half million. And to be in the top 5%, you need a million dollars. Top 10%, $800,000. Wow, top 10%, net worth of $800,000. And the top 50% requires $500,000 in net worth. But the most interesting thing within that study is they said that two thirds of all net worth, two thirds of it, came from home equity. Wow. So you can't get rich being a renter. And regardless of what the media says, you can't avoid the real estate market if you want to get really wealthy. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Okay, let's go back to this um, idea that mortgage rates follow inflation, which is something I hadn't really thought about before, but obviously you had. Um, the Fed last year said incorrectly that inflation was transitory. But now it kind of looks like maybe it might be. It was just transitory as in one year of transitory. But yeah, let's let's talk about uh, why you think that inflation is going to continue to go down and why that would then mean mortgage rates will go down this spring, I think you said. So what is inflation? Inflation is too many dollars chasing too few products. It's that simple. During the pandemic, we all experienced it when you needed toilet paper, right? So yes, too many people wanted toilet paper and there wasn't enough of it. So it's too many dollars chasing too few goods and people were paying all kinds of premiums for it, right? But everything else. But you also experienced it in real estate as too many buyers chased too little inventory and it pushed prices higher. So that's inflation. So the Fed let inflation get out of hand because they misunderstood it and they admitted that they don't understand inflation. So when you take a look at inflation, all of the stimulus that was put out there 
contributed to too many dollars. The Fed somehow missed that. And let's face it, government missed that too. So while they talked about we don't want inflation, they were the cause of between the Fed and you know, fiscal policy and monetary policy together. So the government and the Fed together that created inflation. And the Fed missed it because we saw inflation moving up. Now, they thought it was transitory because they failed to see the effects of the stimulus. And they also thought that all of the inflation came from the fact of supply was constrained. Remember, what's inflation? Too many dollars chasing too few goods. They forgot the too many dollars part. And they said, you know what? Supply chain's broken. China's shut down. We're not getting shipments. Shelves are barren. People are paying a premium. You're paying a lot more for a car. All those things were happening. And they attributed all the inflation to that, which is why they mistakenly said it's transitory. Because they thought that when the supply chain got fixed, that goods prices would come down and inflation would go away. Well, they forgot the too many dollars part. So now <laughs> inflation is coming down, not because it was transitory. Yes, the goods part was because inventory is at their highest levels right now. So inventory is through the roof. But, inventory, but inflation is coming down because what the Fed has gone out to do is destroy demand. So they're killing jobs. They're killing demand. And how does the Fed do that? When the Fed hikes rates, especially as rapidly as they had, which is a historic measure of what they've done, they make the cost of borrowing much more expensive. So what's inflation? It's too many dollars chasing too few goods. Dollars, money, 80% of it is credit. You realize that? Isn't that crazy? So we run on credit. So if 80% of it is credit and the Fed makes credit more expensive, people will do less of it. So think about it this way. Nine months ago, a family went to go buy a car. And they look at this beautiful $60,000 car. They say, how much is the monthly payment? 600 bucks a month. Okay, I'll take it. Now, they don't write a check. They don't spend anything. They don't pull out their credit card. They sign a piece of paper. And what happens? Somewhere at a bank, somebody makes a few keystroke entries, and poof, out of thin air, $60,000 is created out of thin air. Remember, more money coming into the system. That's inflationary. So by the Fed hiking and hiking and hiking and taking that Fed funds rate four and a quarter percent higher, what has happened? That same family today, if they didn't buy that car back then, or if a different family were to buy the same car at the same price, that same car for the same price of $60,000, how much is the monthly payment? It's not 600 bucks a month anymore. It's $1,000 a month. And that, that family says, you know what? Uh, maybe I'll wait. Maybe I'll drive that car I have a little bit longer. And so there's nobody to bank making a few keystrokes entries, and there's no poof. Here's $60,000 out of thin air. Multiply that by millions of families. Multiply that by millions of items or businesses taking out loans, and you see less money out there. So what's inflation? Too many dollars, too much money? This is sucking the money out. Plus, now you can get a rate of return in the bank. So before, when I was getting zero to put my money in the bank, I'll spend it instead of saving it. But today, you can get a good rate of return. So instead of spending it, instead of the money being out there, I'll stash it and save it. So what's inflation? Too many dollars. This is taking that money and either saving it or not creating it. And those two things have brought down inflation. This all at the same time, as China's opened up, supply chains opened up. And now, not only do we have our goods back, but there is an excess of goods. That's why you're seeing 25 emails a day come through your inbox, sale, 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 because they've got too many goods, price discount, price cut, price slash, this and that. So inflation's coming down for all of those reasons because of the demand destruction. The supply chain was transitory, but the Fed had to go out and kill jobs, kill demand, put us in a recession in order to get their previous mistake under control. So would you say that the opposite of... Uh 
inflation is deflation and that that's what we're heading into when we're talking about recession? No, because there's a middle step and that's deceleration or disinflation. So Mm. if you're driving down the highway, it's 80 miles an hour. If that's inflation, deflation would be throwing it in reverse and going backwards. (laughs) <laughs> We're not talking about throwing in reverse and going backwards. We're talking about instead of going 80 miles an hour, going 30 or 40. So you're still seeing some inflation, but at a much lower rate of return. And the reason why long-term bonds or mortgage rates follow inflation, I'll give you an example. <laughs> so let's imagine, Kathy, you're nice enough. You're in the business of doing mortgages with a fund that you have, and you're loaning money out of that fund. And you give me a mortgage. And to make it simple, I'm making a payment on this mortgage for many, many years now of $2,000 a month to you. You receive that check for $2,000 and you go out and you buy a shopping list of goods and services. And you get everything on that list for $2,000. Next month, I give you a check for $2,000. You get everything on that list. And maybe even the following month. But over time, you discover that I can't get everything on that list anymore because inflation is making prices rise. So I got to leave a few things off. Now I'm still giving you a check and it still says $2,000. It just doesn't go as far as it used to. It's actually eroding in its buying power. And that's what happens. That's what inflation does. It's a thief. It erodes buying power over time of a fixed payment. So the recipient, in this case, it's you, is experiencing that. Now when inflation was very low, like 1%, you can offer an interest rate that's low and still make a nice handsome profit. But now that inflation's gone up so much, your only defense on future loans that you're going to do is contemplate that more rapid rate of erosion due to higher inflation and say, wait a minute, I I can't give you that low rate anymore. I've got to start at a higher perch to compensate me for the more rapid rate of erosion of my buying power. So if I'm going to give somebody the same loan amount, I don't need 2,000, I need like 24, 2,500 bucks a month. And that's why rates have gone up because of inflation. But now that inflation's come down a little bit, you've seen mortgage rates follow suit and inflation will continue to come down because as I mentioned, supply chain and the slowdown in the economy and less dollars being out there, inflation can can come down more, mortgage rates will come down more. I think we're going to see 5% or so mortgage rates the first half of this year. So I understand the buying power of lower rates and what I'm still confused about is the creation of money. That's the the crucial piece that nobody wants to talk about. At least you don't hear it on the news and you don't hear politicians talking about it, but they're still doing it. They're still creating too many dollars and talking about it right now in, in Congress. So how how does that play out in this scenario? Well, just recently, there was $1.7 trillion passed in the spending bill. Now, some of it we needed, but some of it was not needed. Some of it is just pork. That That's the way that Congress works. You know, everybody, you know, look, I want what's good for my local constituents. And uh, you know, I'll say inflation's bad, but I'm going to contribute to it because I want to get reelected. So it's, it's an ugly system uh, that's out there because nobody wants it to be, okay, I'll be the one to sacrifice to contribute to the good of lower inflation. Uh, it's a headwind because that does put more money in the system and more money in the system is inflationary. So the consequence of it is the feds keeps having to pound higher rates to overcome that and destroy demand further. And eventually what always happens is you have these boom and bust cycles because then the fed has to go too far and they do it until something breaks. And when we see something break, the economy breaks, you have a recession, unemployment goes up, people have less money to buy to buy things with and the cost of buying is too high and the lure of savings becomes attractive so people do that and you just see that slow down in the economy and that brings rates down fortunately housing does well during recessions because housing 
is something that benefits from those lower rates. So these are, you know, these are just the way the economy works. And you hit the nail on the head, Kathy, you're right. The, the, the politicians don't, they'll talk a good game, but they don't seem to really understand the problem with the additional stimulus that's out there that is contrary to what the Fed's trying to do. And you have these two forces opposing each other. The reason we had so much inflation is because you have the two of them pushing, you know, the Fed lowering rates, making monetary policy easy. At the same time, we have the government doing stimulus is a recipe for what you're experiencing now. Yeah. And no end in sight, apparently. Well, we do. I do. Kathy, I do see, I do see an end in sight in, in the fact that we will see uh, inflation subside. We're probably not going to get down mm -hmm. to those low, low levels, but it will subside and rates will come down and housing will be okay. And recessions will pass. You know, we'll go through a period and people will lose some jobs and things will slow down, but then the economic cycle will improve. So, uh, you know, th this, these, we, we've seen these so many times it's, it's cyclical. So um, we're just in a season right now that um, is going to cause rates to move lower, the economy to move slower, uh, unfortunately, unemployment to go a little higher. Um, but then things will will come back and we will go through a period of growth again. Spring will come around once again. So the word recession is really scary to a lot of people. And there have been some, uh, there was a bad one not that long ago, 12, 13 years ago, people still remember that. And um, so when they hear the word recession, it's it's terrifying. Uh, where do you Where do you see us headed in that regard? So I think the recessions tend to mirror the expansions and the expansion that we had was relatively shallow. So I don't think the recession will be either long lived or very deep. There are events that are unforeseen that can come up, which can either make things worse or better. So we don't know that, you know, nobody saw this Russia, Ukraine coming out of, the, of, of left field, you know, so things can happen. Nobody saw the pandemic happening, you know, three months before the pandemic yet, nobody knew that we were going to be in this, life was going to change, right? So these events can happen and upset the apple cart dramatically. But barring that, you know, most recessions last for six to nine months. So you know, it, it sucks to go through six to nine months, but it's not six to nine years. Okay. So you're, you're not going to see that type of, of pain inflicted and recessions affect people disproportionately. You know, unemployment rate will probably rise. And that great recession that we did have uh, 2008, 2009, the unemployment rate rose from about three and a half percent to about 10%. So did it affect hundred percent of the people? No, but six and a half percent of those people that lost their jobs, it was very painful to those people. So, you know, it affects people differently. You know, if, if, if you know, you go through a recession, you know, things will slow down, but it's pretty darn depressing if you lose your own job rights and you can't find one. Uh, fortunately, the labor market is somewhat resilient right now. So we are seeing the labor market, still remain pretty tight. And it does appear that if you do want a job, you can get one. We're hearing about a lot of layoffs that are occurring in the technology sector, but at least anecdotally appeals to it, that those individuals are finding jobs somewhat reasonably fast, like within two months. Okay. Um, well, good news then. Ah, I, I, very I positive. To, you, know, you know, it is positive. While we have to go through a period that may be a bit you know, a bit stressful at times. We, we, we always do that, you know, listen, you know, riding off into the sunset and you know, happy ever after as an illusion, you know, every single one of us will suffer, right? We know that, um, it, it's all how we get through those times and enjoy the times when they're good, right. And appreciate, you know, not everything goes south at the same time. So, um, enjoy the things that are good, enjoy the blessings that come from it. Um, but, but things will come around. As I said, this is cyclical. This is not going to be deep. This is not going to be horrifying. It's not going to be terrible and it's not going to be forever. You know, nothing good or bad 
lasts forever. So um, we'll get through this and uh, be smart about it. Right now, look at what the opportunities are. As I said to you, opportunities to me look very clear. Real estate is out of favor, but looks like it will perk up. So when do you want to buy it? You want to buy it when it's gone up and after it's gone up? Or do you want to buy it when it's out of favor and about to go up? I see that for long-term bonds. I see that for real estate. I see that in gold. I see those areas of the marketplace being some really good opportunities where you can take advantage. And heck, if you want to play it safe, you know what's a good opportunity right now? Put your money in some treasuries and get yourself close to 5% rate of return. When was the last time you were able to get that, right? In a super <laughs> safe investment. Yeah. And to your point, this is why most of our listeners are buy and hold real estate investors. And there's tremendous demand for rental, probably more than last year, now that fewer people can afford to buy. And you know, the, the more rental properties you have and the more cash flow you have, the less you have to worry about losing your job, right? That's, so that is what we're yes. promoting all the time here. Yes. Now, rents are going up, but the uh, move up that we're seeing annually in rents is decelerating. And there is, if there's an area that more supply is coming on the market is in the rental area. So I do see that area um, still being very good, but not being as favorable as it has been. It's been a party, let's face it. But one <laughs> caveat that will affect rental properties a little bit differently is if your tenant loses their job. Mm -hmm. That's something that you need to be cognizant of. So um, if you do get into a recession while real estate value should hold up as a homeowner, as an investor renting properties, that may be a little bit of a headwind for you. Again, it won't be forever, but I, you know, I, I like people to know, I, I love rental properties. I think it's a great, 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 great investment over the long term. But having been experienced as a landlord and owning it, the dollars can be great, but you know you can get a, you can get some periods of heartburn until you get unlucky with a tenant, or that tenant loses their job, or they go through a divorce. You know there are things that happen, life events that happen that make being a landlord you know gives you some gray hairs. Uh, you, I color mine up right now, but I've got some <laughs> from that. But Kathy, the thing about about it is that you know you, you have to have the stomach to be a landlord, um, but it can be really really rewarding over time. Yeah. And especially if you have enough reserves in place for expected vacancies and, and repairs, that's yes. going to be a part of it. Okay. Very good. Well, the Fed has said that they're going to keep raising rates this year to slow things down. Do you think they're fibbing or do you think they're really going to do that? I think they believe in their hearts they're going to do so. But if the economy really starts to slow down, they'll have to take their foot off the neck of the economy. It appears to me that uh, uh, they're at their next Fed meeting, which will be February 1st, uh, they, they will probably, my guess, my guess is they hike a quarter, maybe it's a half, but something in that range. I think a quarter would probably be more commensurate. A lot's going to depend on the inflation numbers that we get that are coming out. You know, as we record this, there's an inflation number coming out, which will be tomorrow. Uh, that's going to be very, very informative to the Fed as to what they should do. And uh, if we see a larger than expected drop in inflation, the core rate of CPI goes to, let's say, 5.6%. I think that the they can't go more than a quarter percent hike. Uh, but if inflation remains a little more persistent, then they might go with a half a percent hike. But they are slowing down. And then mid-March may very well be the last Fed rate hike uh, that we see in the cycle. And then I don't think they go to cutting. I think they go to pause and let's wait and see because they don't want to run the economy off the cliff. Uh, they've already gone too far, in my opinion. Um, but... Uh, you know, Jerome Powell has a lot of egg on his face, as do all of these Fed members. They've done a horrible job. And I think they're embarrassed at how inept they've been. So unfortunately, these are not robots, they're human beings. 
And right now, Jerome Powell's legacy will be one of his tombstone will read one of the worst Fed chairs that we've ever had in history. <laughs> so that's his legacy right now. Right? He's one of the worst. He's right up there with Arthur Burns. You know, just these are embarrassing names. And he's up there with them. And he doesn't want that because he's a human being. You know, who wants that? Who wants your kids to think that you were the worst Fed chair ever? You know, they want, they want to be proud of their dad. Right now, they're all embarrassed of him. And I believe that he is very determined to not, if he's going to make a mistake, it's going to be, let's crash the economy, as opposed to letting inflation get out of hand twice. So unfortunately, because he's a human being and he has an ego and emotion and feelings like the rest of us do, he will likely go too far in pushing the economy down than what he really should be doing. Here's the analogy. The Fed is setting policy by what their actions are that take time to ripple through the economy. It may take three or so months. So it's like kind of driving down the road and looking three months ahead is where you should be looking or let's say a mile down the road. That's the way a good driver drives, by the way. I learned that when I, you know, I like to race cars and you, you don't look at the car in front of you, you look down the road. But the Fed's not just doing that. The Fed's looking in the rearview mirror while they're driving. Mm. Imagine going 60 miles an hour, 80 miles an hour down the road, but only looking in the rearview mirror. What typically could happen? It's not good. You can probably crash. And that's why the Fed crashes the economy every time, because they make decisions that will come into play three months from now based upon data that's averaging for the past year. It's not in real time. They're looking at the CPI data includes data from December of 2021, 2021, you know, January of 2022, March of 2020. It includes some real-time data, but the most real-time data they have right now as we speak is from November of 2022, and it's equal in weight as December of 2021. There is no bias towards here's what's happening in real time. They're weighting it from data a year ago as well, and that's why they're always slow. To, it's why they missed inflation because inflation was skyrocketing in real time, but they were weighting it against the data from 2020 when we were in the throes of a pandemic shutdown. That's mm. why they missed it. <laughs> well, I hope uh, artificial intelligence comes in and gives them some, some supporters. You know what, you know what it is, Kathy? It's experience. And yeah. unfortunately, the Fed has little to zero real world experience, not a lemonade stand, not a newspaper route, and certainly not a job like you and I have to hold down. These have been people that have been in the shelters of academia or government their entire lives. Mm -hmm. And that is why they cannot understand or relate to how you have to anticipate where the puck is going. They're always skating to where the puck was. Well, all right. So any last um, bit of advice for our listeners who, again, are trying to decide, is this the time to buy real estate or not? So every opportunity comes out of chaos. The greatest investor of all time, don't listen to me, listen to the greatest investor of all time, and, and that, in my humble opinion, is Sir John Templeton. And he said, the time of maximum pessimism is the best time to buy. And if you're a Warren Buffett fan, he said, you want to be greedy when others are fearful. I think those circumstances exist right now around the bond market and around the housing market. I think this is a really good time to be a buyer. You want to buy assets when they're out of favor. You don't want to buy them at the top. This is the time of... The, the best time to sell is during euphoria, right? So euphoric times are, you know, usually when you, you know, when, when you, when the bond market was, you know, a half a percent on the uh, yield on the 10 year treasury, it was this time of euphoria is probably the time to sell. 
you know, when the S&P was at 4,800, probably a time to take chips off the table. When Bitcoin was at 67,000, it was euphoric. You know, when tulips were mania, that was probably the time to sell. Okay, so uh, <laughs> y y you have to think about how do I create opportunity? Fundamentally, what are the circumstances? Well, in the bond market, rates are going to come down because inflation is coming down. That will drive bond prices up. You want to do it before it happens, not after it's happened. That's now. Real estate, it's a tight inventory environment. You have more buyers than you have property, but buyers are hibernating. Why? Because they're waiting for rates to come down because that will change the affordability picture. Well, if inflation is coming down, causing bond prices to improve, causing rates to come down, then you're going to unleash a horde of buyers. So when do I want to get in? I don't want to get in after it's happened and prices have gone up. I want to do it now while it's out of favor so I get a discount and then juice my returns because I've seen greater returns happen. And the masses get this wrong every single time. You always do the opposite of the herd mentality. Yep. <laughs> do the op that's the, that will end on that. Do the opposite of the herd mentality. All right, Barry, thank you so much for being here on The Real Wealth Show. I really appreciate all your insights. Thank you. It's a privilege to be with you. You do such a great job, and I appreciate you. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. Barry just summed up exactly why I launched my single family rental fund. I just can't imagine a better time to be buying properties right now. We're getting incredible deals. I think I've mentioned uh, about $120,000 in acquisition, about twenty dollars to $30,000 in renovation. And these properties are valued around $200,000, $220,000 because we're just not seeing the competition. All of that equity is going back into the fund to buy more properties and to grow wealth for our investors. So if you want to find out more about our single family rental fund, it is for accredited investors only because of SEC law. Uh, but you can find out more at growdevelopments.com. That's G-R-O-W, growdevelopments.com. I'm Kathy Fedke. Thanks so much for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.